Welcome to the sermon podcast of the Midtown Fellowship Granny White Congregation in Nashville, Tennessee. We are currently preaching a series from the book of Genesis called Back Where I Began, the search for meaning in the book of Genesis. It has been said that we can't know what we are supposed to do unless we know what story we are a part of. In the book of Genesis, God tells us in no uncertain terms what story we are a part of. We are a part of his story, a story that he has been writing since the beginning for our good and his glory. We're so glad you've joined us for this podcast, and if you are able, we'd like to invite you to join us in person for worship. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 at 3410 Granny White Pike in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, My name is Brant Benetti. I'm the pastor of our uh, Midtown East congregation, Uh, but I attended here way back when here was Rocket Town, like the old Rocket Town with the balcony and then the other Rocket Town and then here at Granny White. And so getting to preach here is uh, always a huge gift and a joy to me, even if it's a little bit of a rush getting over here from East. There was one time where I got to like run down the aisle because I was so late. You guys remember that? Okay, anyway. I'm always tempted to be late just to get that kind of reception. But anyway, glad to be here this morning. Uh, and kind of as, as I've been thinking about the sermon this week, uh, one of the things that has been coming to mind for me over and over again is this Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live skit where uh, people showed up at a sleep doctor to get help well, with their sleep. That's, I guess, obvious from being at a sleep doctor. And so these people show up to the doctor. They say, hey, doctor, we like, we can't, we can't sleep. Can you help us? Can you do something for us? Can you give us something? And the doctor uh, says, well, you know, let's talk about some of your habits before you go to bed. And as they're talking, they realize, well, everyone is like on their phones all the way into bed. And he, the doctor tells them, oh, you know what you could do is just uh, turn off your phone. Like, Or maybe just not even use it. Like maybe the hour before you go to bed, just don't use their phone. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, but that's not going to happen. So like, can you give me like a pill? Or is like a surgery you can do on my nose? Like, is there something you can do to me so I don't have to do that? He's like, no, that's, it's, it's pretty simple. Just don't be on your phone. Like, well, we can't do it an hour before bed. He's like, okay, okay. Just a half an hour, 15 minutes. If you could put your phone down 15 minutes before bed, you'd be able to fall asleep a lot better. And they're like, okay, yeah, I'd rather cut off my arm. I'm not going to do that. And that's how the skit ends. So we're not going to do that thing, right? Which tells us a lot about our relationships with our phones and with a lot of things. That there are things in our lives that we know that we need that are good for us, and yet doing the very thing that we want to do, that we know that we need, can be so hard, can be nearly impossible. Does anybody relate to that? And that is especially true when it comes to us and our relationship with rest. Now, this is the part of the sermon uh, where I share with you a lot of statistics and facts to prove that you need more rest, but I'm not going to do that because you already know it, right? How many of you could use more rest in your lives? Can I get a show of hands? And any of you who are not raising your hand, it means that you're getting your rest now because you're still asleep. We know that we are a people who are in desperate need of rest. And yet the very thing that we desire is the thing that is so hard for us to say yes to in our lives. Why is that? What is happening there? Our scripture speaks to that this morning. Your God this morning wants to talk to you about that. So we're in this sermon series in the book of Genesis, and I don't know, when you first heard that, you may have thought, this sounds like the least relevant thing to my life. It's like the oldest part of the Bible. Yes, 
And it is incredibly relevant to our lives because the people that were living back then who had just come out of slavery in Egypt were asking the very same questions that you and I are asking now. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What's my relationship to work? What's, what's my relationship like to these people around me? How do we live together? What am I called to? How do I rest? And in the same way God was providing answers to those, to those people through the book of Genesis, God is speaking to us through the book of Genesis about those very same things. So I'm gonna invite Sarah Hawley to come up. Sarah is gonna read our scripture for us. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis 2, Wow, we made it out of the first chapter, guys. We did it, okay? Yeah, <laughs> claps for that. So we're in Genesis 2, the first uh, three verses. I think they'll be up here on the screen as well, yeah. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Sarah, I know we don't know each other, but would you stay up here just for a second? Will you just read that again? It's like only three verses. I just want us to slow us down. I just want you to hear it again. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Thanks, Sarah. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We ask even now that through your Holy Spirit that you would be slowing down our hearts, that you'd be bringing us to a place of rest, that we would be able to hear from you. And we are here because we believe that you are speaking with us, that we are a people who are not hoping or crossing our fingers that you are here, that we know that you are here and that you, you desire to bring life into our hearts this morning through your word and through your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would do what you promise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I... Before we get into the text, or as we get into the text, uh, I just got to confess to you that I have been wrestling with this passage this week and my own need for it. Like, even last night, uh, as last night I had to, to go and, uh, and apologize to my wife for the ways that I was so angry at her and my kids over the course of the day for how much work I knew that I wanted to get done and how angry I was because I wasn't getting it done. Like I spent my day being angry at my family because of the ways they were getting in the way of the work that I had to do so I could prepare a sermon about rest. That's crazy, right? But that, that's what was happening. My son is potty training right now. So I have these moments in my day where I thought, oh, I'm just going to get a few things done here so I can, and those moments, they went away so angry about it. We can talk about our need for rest, our desire for rest, but when we're talking about that, what we're talking about, guys, is a spiritual issue. We're talking about a spiritual issue that deeply affects ourselves and our relationships with each other. And what we're gonna look at this morning when we look at this text and we read through these verses in Genesis and unpack them is what, 
what God was doing when he created rest for us, what God was doing on the seventh day when he invited us in to rest. What is this rest about? What are its characteristics? And then we're going to talk about what happens when we have a dysfunctional relationship with rest. Another way to say that would be what happens when sin has affected us and has broken our relationship with rest. And then we're going to spend some time, hopefully a lot of time, talking about what does it mean that Jesus has redeemed rest in our lives and how do we live into that story of redemption? So if you're a note taker, those are the three points. I, don't, I can't really summarize them in a tighter way, but you know, you're used to that with Randy, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about what God is teaching us about rest here in these first three verses of Genesis. And I'm gonna read them again, again, because they're, they're so short. Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work he had done in creation. Twice in these three verses, we hear, God, we hear Moses say that God was finished and that God rested. And even the word for rest that we have in this passage, it, it points us back to this idea of being finished. The word for rest, when it's translated literally, is a word for cease, that God arrested, that God ceased, God stopped. And not like a California rolling stop kind of stop, you know what I mean? Like a stop, like a full and complete stop. God stopped. There was work that he was doing and then God stopped doing that work. He accomplished what he intended to accomplish in the work of creation. So he stopped. When you guys stop something, do you ever, do you ever like exhale? The sound of a stop is the, you know what I'm talking about? Like this is the kind of the, that I got when I would finish like a paper in college or in grad school, which was even worse. And you like hit send, or you turn it in, or you push it under the door, and you think, man, I never have to think about that again. It's finished. That is not the kind of finish that God has here. Because when God finished his work in creation, he didn't put it out of his mind. He didn't shove it under the door. God, when he finished his work of creation, rejoiced in his creation. He celebrated it. God spent the seventh day delighting in what he had created in enjoying it. It's more like the time that I fixed the condenser on my car. Yes, I know what a condenser is, so... <laughs> You should be impressed by that. Uh, my car was blowing very hot air at me all the time in the summer, which was a problem. And I talked to my cousin, and he was like, oh, you can fix that. Anybody can fix that. Here's a YouTube video. And I thought, that YouTube video looks simple. I can do that. Well, spoiler alert, it took me a lot longer than it took the guy in the YouTube video. <laughs> However, I did get it done. And every time I got in my car after that and got blasted with cold air, like, oh, I'm just delighting in my finished work, right? Every time. Literally, for months, I thought that. Every time, I, I'm like, I'm awesome. I fixed this car. <laughs> that is what God is doing. God is stepping back and looking at his creation. He's breathing it in. He's saying, look at this awesome thing that I've done. It's so good. We've been talking about that over and over in the creation narrative. God says, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's really good. 
And on the seventh day, God sits back and he stops and he takes in the goodness of it. And what that does is it teaches us about what rest is, that rest is stopping. That rest is coming to a stop. And it's more than that. It's not only what we stop, it's what we start. It's that we start appreciating, soaking in, beholding the beauty of what God has done. You know, Exodus 31, uh, over the course of Moses' writings in these first five books of the Old Testament, he kind of expands and builds on this idea of God resting. And in Exodus 31, he said, God rested and was refreshed on the seventh day. Refreshed. Not because God was like tired and needed a nap, but it's talking about this fullness of joy that was in God that was welling up and that was overwhelming and that joy was refreshing. And that is the joy that we are being invited into when we're invited into rest. The Psalms talk about having our youth renewed like the eagles. I have zero idea what eagles have to do with youth, but I know that I want it. I could use that in my life, having my youth renewed. Could you? So we read this text and we gotta ask, how do I get that? Right, how do I get that kind of rest? Well, before we can talk about how we get that kind of rest, what we have to acknowledge is that a lot has happened between the seventh day of creation and this day. And one of the biggest things that happened between the seventh day of creation and this day that we are currently in is this thing that we call the fall. It's this moment when sin entered the world and sin broke everything in the universe. That sin broke our relationships with ourselves. Sin broke our relationships with other people. It broke our relationships with God. It broke our relationships with work and it broke our relationships with rest. So now when we approach this idea of work and rest, we find that it's all disfigured. And we have to understand what that looks like so we can understand what the restored version of it means. This means we're in point two, okay, if you're taking notes. And rest being disfigured in our lives is not a new thing. It was true for the Israelites. It's why God gave them this story. We've been talking about this, that the Israelites, uh, they had just been led out of slavery. God had delivered them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And they're here kind of on, the, on uh, the plains of Moab and they're hearing this story, which means they had just come out of 400 years of never having a day off. That's what it meant to be a slave. Generations of people were born and died in a way of living and thinking and being where their entire value as people was derived from what they could produce for their masters. There was zero concept of rest. Yeah, that's a disfigured relationship with work and with rest, right? It's not just what they were coming out of, though. It was what they were going into, that they were walking into a culture where there was no such thing as a day off. In the ancient Near East, people did, like, organize their lives according to weeks, but there was no weekend. That's a modern thing. And the Sabbath is a day off is a, is a Jewish or a Christian idea. So they were living in the world where you couldn't work for the weekend because there was no weekend to work for. There was no, oh, thank God it's finally Friday because there was no Friday. It was just another day where you continued to work just like every other day. 
And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because this idea of rest is so baked in to the way we think about our weeks that when you drive around Nashville on a Sunday morning, it's quiet because we expect rest. That has not always been true. The people back then had this disfigured relationship with work and with rest. And here's the thing, uh, that hasn't changed. Even though the rhythm of a weekend is built into our lives, uh, we still have a disfigured relationship with work and rest, don't we? There's a sociologist from the 1970s. His name is Gordon Dahl. This is what he says is true about Americans. This is what he said was true about Americans back then. He said, Americans, uh, they worship their work, they work at their play, and they play at their worship. Just let that sink in. I'm going to say that one more time, okay? Hmm, yeah. Americans worship their work, they work at their play, and they play at their worship. That is still true for us. That we are a people who worship our work, who expect our work to be God for us, to do things for us that work was never intended to do. That work would be the place that we get our identity, our sense of this is who I am, this is what I'm about, this is how I know I have value, it's because of what I produce, which is the same thing that the Israelites were struggling with however many thousands of years ago. That's why for many of us it is nearly impossible to stop working that we're constantly checking email, taking phone calls, that, that even when our computers are shut, that our minds are, are churning on all of the things that we have to do for work. And this idea of stopping, it feels uh, unreachable, impossible. And yet, let's acknowledge that most of us would say that is not a good thing. Right, that if that's how we're living our lives, that we would say, I know that I don't want that, though. I know that that's not good. We're like the people with the cell phones, right, before bed. God, how do I stop doing this thing? And so there are all kinds of books and courses and seminars and things that you can do to help you figure out how do you manage your schedule so that your work is not so overwhelming. But here's what happens. We put down our work, and then you know what we go and pick up? More work. Okay, so finally, I have stopped answering my work emails, and now I have the time to answer my personal emails. <laughs> I finally put down all of these projects I am driving to at work, and what do I see around my house? Plenty of projects for me to take on, right? That I can put down all of the meetings, scheduling that I'm doing for everyone else, and now I can finally start working on my family schedule. Scheduling the babysitter, scheduling the date, scheduling the this, scheduling the that. that we work at our play. Like, I don't know if you know this, but the new season of Formula One, Drive to Survive, is about to come out, right? It's very exciting. You don't know this, but my people at East do. There's a lot of sermon illustrations in that, so just wait for it, okay? Uh, so Drive to Survive is about to come out. Ted Lasso is about to come out. The new season of, okay, that's a little more engaging here. It's good to know. And most exciting, the new season of Survivor is about to start. Okay, we've got a few people, right? So it's easy, I, and I'm not getting it. You can look at all of that. These are the shows that I watch and think, oh man, God, I got so much I gotta get to. 
right? Like the list of the entertainment that I have to consume is getting long and that can feel stressful. We work at our play, guys. That's what I'm trying to illustrate for you, okay? You all do it too. Don't laugh at me. Well, you can laugh at me, but it's true. It's true with all of the scrolling that we do, all the information we've got to take in and things we've got to stay up on so that we can know when we show up to that conversation that we can be the kind of person who knows what's going on, who knows what I should say and what I shouldn't say, and depending on the people who are with me, what I shouldn't say. That's a lot to take in. That's a lot of burdens and busyness and work that we're constantly heaping on ourselves, not to mention all of the religious work that we feel obligated to do. All of the disciplines, all of the, of the burden of loving other these people for the sake of Jesus. Jesus, man, I kind of... Just thinking of going to um, little kids' birthday parties for people I don't know. I'm like, man, I'm a Christian, so I got to make sure I'm out here like talking to all these people and I got to be friendly enough and warm enough and kind enough. And I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of burdens. Even when we put down our work, we are always working. And here's what Jesus says in the middle of all of that. What your Jesus says to you. Come to me. Come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all of you who are weary, who are heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. And what that tells us is that our problem is not a scheduling problem. It's not a manner of efficiency. It's not... Whoa. It's not about you scheduling enough retreats in your life. That the problem is a soul problem. It's deep inside of us that you could maximize your calendar and you could build in all of the rest that you can imagine and you would still not be at rest. I would still not be at rest because our souls are not at rest. And so Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and let's deal with that. So what is it? What is it that makes our souls not at rest? And the project that, that, that we are constantly working on, guys, it's ourselves, isn't it? That what we desire for ourselves is that we would be beautiful. Beautiful or if you're a dude and that word feels awkward to you, that you would be glorious would be another way to say it. That that's what we are constantly striving for. It's why we're cultivating and curating so much in our lives is that we would have other people look at us and say, beauty, you're glorious. And because of that, I want to I, I love you. I want to be in relationship with you. There's an author I love, Kurt Thompson. He says, we long to be infinitely desired I want to be found beautiful. I want someone else to desire me. And that idea of beauty, this being desired, it, it's not something that we can self-identify as. It's like being funny. Self-identifying as funny is not helpful in your life, right? You are or you aren't, but you are or you aren't based on what other people think about you. Like we went to this comedy show at Zany's a few months ago, which that was really out of character for my wife and I, but we did it. And before, like, the, the, the guy that we actually paid to see, he has all these openers, right? And one of the openers, whoo, I'm like, I, bro, I want to laugh. I know what it is like to be in front of people who I want to laugh at me, and sometimes they don't, right? So, like, I get it. Did you see what I was doing there? 
I get it. I want to laugh with you, and it's just not funny. It's just not. And the other people here don't think so either. And now this is very awkward because you self-identify as funny, but we don't think you're funny, so you're not funny. That is how beauty is. Yeah, I can believe that I'm beautiful, but if no one else sees me as beautiful, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I can believe that I am desirable, but if no one else is desiring me, no one else is enjoying me, it doesn't matter. Because we have this infinite, this insatiable desire to be desired, to have someone find us beautiful. And into that, that drives all of our striving, into that our Jesus says, come to me. Did you hear that? The invitation into relationship? Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And let's just admit, that is not the me that I want to take to your party. The weary and heavy laden me? That is the person I try to, to leave at home. The weary and heavy, heavy laden me is, is the me that I am trying to avoid. And yet that is the me that Jesus is speaking to. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, you as you actually are, beat down and burdened by all of the cares and all of the working and all of the striving. Come to me. I desire to be with you. Not once you get those things figured out, but right in that place, I desire to be with you. And in fact, he desired to be with you so much, he went to the cross to restore your relationship with an infinite God. The only way for you to have an infinite desire satisfied is to be in relationship with the God who is infinite. And that is exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus cries out to Telestai. He says, it is finished. It's finished. And that word, that Greek word for finished, is the same Greek word that appears in, in the Old Testament tr Greek translation of these verses. But in the same way that God finished his work of creation and he rested, Jesus shouts on the cross, it is finished to tell us die, that the work of redemption is just as complete as God's work of creation. And there is nothing for you to do except to walk into your Jesus who says, come to me, for you to come to him, step into that work of redemption and then rest in the beauty of it. To be rejoiced in and over by your heavenly father. To be enjoyed by him. In the same way that God stepped back and he is rejoicing over, he is enjoying his creation on the seventh day, that is what your God is doing with you because the work of redemption has been finished. He's singing over you. And there is nothing left for you to do. There's nothing left for you to earn. It's finished so you can stop. You and I can stop. Can stop the striving, the working, all of the things that we are trying to prove to ourselves and to each other, all of the effort we put into trying to make ourselves appear beautiful and desired and glorious, we can stop those things because God says that's already true. It's already true. Think about this with me for a second. Adam and Eve... The first day of creation that they experienced, what day was it? The first day they fully experienced. 
Say it one more time. The first day they fully experienced. The seventh day. So think about that with me for a second. What that means is that Adam and Eve, their first day on the job was the day of rest. It's like when you start a new job and they pay you for a whole week to be on vacation. That's what was happening with Adam and Eve. The first thing that they experience in their lives is God delighting over them. Their first day in the world, they behold the beauty of God created of God's creation. They behold the beauty of God and they behold the beauty of God beholding them. Well, friends, that is the rest that we have been invited into. A rest that tells us you can stop, you can put down all of that striving and that what we get to pick up, what we get to rejoice in is the fact that we are being rejoiced over. That we are a people who get to and take in the beauty of what our Jesus has done for us. That that's what it is to rest. Okay, so how do we live out of that? How do we put that into practice? I mean, it's, it's, it's this pattern of, of stopping and then beholding beauty. That's rest. Okay, so we're just going to apply that pattern in a few different places. One of the places that we get to stop and we get to behold beauty is when we come to God in repentance. That's what repentance is. It's stopping and it's beholding beauty. It's saying to God, God, I'm going to stop hiding from my sin. And I'm going to lay it out before you. That can be a painful thing. It can be a hard thing. And yet when we, when we repent, when we lay out our sin before God, what he does then is he, he revives us. Right? He breathes life into us. He reminds us, I've already dealt with that because of how much I love you. All of the running that you were doing from those things, you don't have to run from them anymore. You can look at them because I saw them before you even knew it. And I loved you right in those places. So stop and come and behold the beauty of what, what I've done for you. That's the invitation of repentance, the dance of repentance. That's how we talk about, man, when we see our sin, even the depth of it, that we get to grow in our appreciation for God's grace in our lives. It's something to rejoice about. It's a moment of brokenness, yes, and then a moment of rejoicing. We get to practice that rest because there's an invitation to practice that rest every time in, the, in your day when you want to distract yourself. I cannot tell you how much my reading has increased in the last year because I got a Kindle, which means I can be distracted literally anywhere. It's amazing. And then when one distraction runs out, I can get another one from the library for free. The app is called Libby. I would highly recommend it. Anyway right? I'm always looking for ways to distract myself. And what I'm doing there, what we are doing there when we're looking for that distraction is there is pain in our lives that we are trying to push away. That we're avoiding rest. We're buying into this idea that scrolling on my screen is somehow recharging for me. It's going to bring me refreshment. Renew me like the eagles. I never feel like that after doom scrolling on my phone. Do you? No, because it's not refreshing. So the invitation is, hey, would you stop? Would I stop? Would we stop distracting ourselves? 
And we, would we receive those moments as an invitation into rest? To being in the presence of Jesus. Guys, and I'm not talking about like you got to stop throughout the day and have 15-minute quiet times. I'm talking about 10 seconds. You are with me. But he's here to comfort us in our pain, to allow us to rest, even in the midst of the busyness that we live in. And then here's the last thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about having a regular rhythm of rest in our day-to-day lives. You might have heard of it um, as the Sabbath. Whoa, 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 right? You're like, now, we've talked a lot about grace, but now all of a sudden you want to talk to me about actually stopping something in my day-to-day life. Yes, that was the gift that God gave the Israelites, right? We talk about they have this disfigured relationship with rest, and in this story, God gives them the permission to stop, and yet what he knows about them is that they will not take the permission, so he has to give them a command. So if you're like in your Bible reading plan, you know, and you're, here we are in February, you've like read through all these rando Sabbath laws, you're like, what are these all about? It's God saying to the people, you don't know how to rest, so let me teach you. And not just you, but all of the people who work for you, even your animals, that is how much rest is built into the fabric of, of, of creation. And I want to treat rest like a speed bump. Like they just put speed bumps in on my way to work. And I'm always wondering when I drive over them, how much distance is there between the end of this speed bump and that like no parking sign? And can I like get around it? You know what I'm talking about? Right? I don't need, I don't want you to slow me down. But that is the command in scriptures, Stop. Behold God's beauty. And that is, in fact, a moral imperative. Like, we look at the the Ten Commandments, you know, do not kill, and no one's like, well, you know. That's like a helpful practice if you can manage it. But, like, don't get hung up on it, you know. No, because it matters. There's a moral command built into it. That's the same with the Sabbath, that you respecting your limits as a person has a moral dimension to it. Because when we stop... What we are recognizing is that God has given us limits and those limits are a good thing. When we stop, what we are recognizing is I am not God, but you are. And so he invites his people into this. Once a day, or once a day, once a week, he commands us, stop. Okay, now what does that look like? Oh, that's fun to talk about. Maybe you're like me, you're like, I've got kids, I never rest. Okay, well, spoiler alert, the Israelites also had kids, okay? So God knew that. And more than giving you like, oh, so just follow these sets of instructions. Here's what I want to invite you into. I want to invite you into what scripture invites us into, what this passage invites us into, which is stopping. Would you have in your week a regular rhythm of stopping and of beholding beauty? A regular rhythm of stopping and beholding beauty in the people around you. Beholding the beauty of God in this thing that we do called corporate worship. In the quiet moments of your own life, whether you have time to have a cup of coffee and it be an hour and a half, or whether you have time for it to be two minutes. Would we be a people who in our very lives are speaking to the deep rest that Jesus has brought to our souls as we practice that in our day-to-day lives, in our repenting, in our uh, in our reflecting, and in our regular rhythms of rest. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Father, we confess uh, that we are a people who are so often uh, so 
The resting is so hard for us. Father, you don't shame us for that. You have forgiven us for that. As we come before you now, Lord, even in a moment of silence, would you bring those places into mind for us that you're asking us to repent and would you sing over us your enjoyment of us, your delight in us, the fact that you not only love us but that you even like us. Lord, and would you uh, grow us into a people who from that rest that you have brought into our souls bring that rest out into the rest of our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.